passages I wanted to uh, share with you tonight, uh, primarily coming from Matthew 28, 18 through 20, which we know is the Great Commission. Uh, he speaks there in, in regards to, uh, therefore, uh, go. Uh, the, the, the language there has the idea of as you are going. So this is an ongoing thing. It's a, it's a mission that we're all called upon. Uh, but in the case of those we are acknowledging tonight, they are uh, specifically uniting to go uh, to a, a, a distant place to do the mission work there. So we're, we're kind of separating them out uh, for, for tonight's purposes. But I wanted to be reminded and wanted to remind you as well that we're all uh, on that mission as well. So just a number of passages as an exhortation. But in James chapter 4, uh, one of my first exhortations tonight is, as you are going, you go uh, as the Lord wills. In verse 13, James says of chapter 4, Come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit, yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. And he gives the alternative in verse 15, Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. In fact, he reproves them to some degree in verse 16, but as it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. And so the first exhortation and encouragement as well is uh, to those who are going uh, to Honduras and those of us who go out as we are going on mission, uh, we go as the Lord wills. As I've already mentioned providentially, uh, some who had signed up and had committed to go have already, already withdrawn. Uh, whatever those reasons might be providentially, um, they, they're indicative that it was not apparently the Lord's timing or the Lord's willing that they should go uh, on this trip. Doesn't mean they won't go on the next one. Doesn't mean they won't go on a hundred others after this. But I think it's important to understand for all of you who are going that even now uh, at this late date, if the Lord wills only, will you go? Uh, only if the Lord wills will you make it to the airport. Only if the Lord wills will your flight touch down. Uh, only if the Lord wills will you arrive in Honduras. Uh, the Lord's willing uh, is, the, is the decisive factor in our going. Uh, the Lord, Paul speaks in his own life of hindrances for him uh, going, going beyond into other regions. The Lord uh, prevented him as it were, had obstacles in his way, and he received that as the Lord's will. And I think uh, it, we're wise to do that always for the very reasons James gives us, because we don't know what our life will be. Um, you know, we, we, we make our plans, we do that, and, and certainly I trust that you have made it a matter of prayer in your commitment to go and in the arrangements uh, you've made in order to go. All those have been uh, bathed, I hope, in prayer as well. But ultimately, it is the Lord's will uh, that will get you there. And so that's, you go according to the will of the Lord. I would make a broader application to all of us, so it is with your life. Uh, yes, I make my plans. I plan every week. Uh, I plan sometimes out months, sometimes a whole year in advance. I'm anticipating that if the Lord wills, then these are things that I think are priorities, and I try to pray through those and categorize those and prioritize those. All those are planning. So this is never a discouragement against planning as you have been planning. It takes planning. But there's always in the back of our minds and should be, even as Christians, whether you're going to Honduras or whether you're uh, going to work tomorrow, uh, there should be this backdrop that says, if the Lord wills, we shall do this or we shall do that. So it's the Lord's will that is priority here and that will ultimately take you. 
Uh, I've already mentioned in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20, uh, you're going as commissioned by Christ. Uh, this is the great commission. This is the commission of the church. Uh, Jesus says in Matthew 28, go ahead and turn with me there and we'll look at that for a moment. The disciples come to see him at Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated. In verse 17, when they saw him, they worshiped him, even though some were doubtful even in that moment. But in verse 18, Jesus comes up and speaks to them and saying to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So as you're going, you're going in fulfillment or in fulfilling the great commission. You're going as literally commissioned by Christ. About five things under that. Number one is this, is you are, as you are going, you are going under the authority of Christ. Uh, to me, that's a great comfort and that's a great encouragement as well. Uh, that's not to say that you didn't pray about and you didn't make a decision that you would like to go and, and share in this mission. Uh, those are all part of the planning but in doing so, you are going under the authority of Christ. And to me, that governs the way you go. In other words, when you go and when you arrive there, you are operating under the authority of Christ. Uh, I would say as delegated, particularly in this case, uh, your case, as delegated through the ministry that Ashley's brother Aston has established there. And so, so you're, you're serving under the authority of Christ, but as it's, as it's ministered to you through Aston, the guy who knows the area and will be guiding uh, your work in those mission trips. So you have to go uh, recognizing the authority of Christ as exercised in this case through Aston. In other cases, it may be the direct authority of Christ upon your head, but you're not going, uh, you're not going really even under the authority of Diamond Hill, though you were Diamond Hill members, you are not going under the authority of Diamond Hill. You are operating and accountable to the authority of Christ as you go. So ever, whatever our behavior is on mission trips, whatever, however we conduct ourselves, we are, we are to be doing so under the authority of Christ. In a larger application, as you and I, as a church, fulfill the Great Commission and make our efforts to honor the Great Commission, we do so under the authority of Christ. In fact, that's an, that's an absolute authority. He says, all authority has been given me in heaven and on earth. And so there's a great assurance there that you're not operating by your own strength or your authority, but you're operating under the authority of Christ. So that's an encouragement and also an exhortation to be reminded of that as you're serving there. In verse 19 of that same passage, you're going as commissioned by Christ to do what? To make disciples. Let me, let me insert here. Um, and this, this almost goes without saying, but it, it ought to be acknowledged here that the disciples you are making are not disciples of you or of America, <laughs> you being Americans, or even of a particular denomination. The commissioning of the church is to make disciples of Christ. <clears throat> He is, the, he is the one who is to be discipling them. Making disciples includes introducing them to Christ by the grace of God and by the mercy of God, them being drawn to Christ, them experiencing the new birth, and then all the discipling that takes place. That, that's what you guys are a part of. 
Uh, that ministry is already ongoing there in Honduras, and uh, we ask God's blessing upon Aston and his family as they and the churches that they're associated with because they're doing that ministry now, and you are going to come alongside them to aid them in practical ways, maybe in directly sharing the gospel or maybe in a supportive role uh, to fulfill that commission. And all of what they are doing is, is devoted towards making disciples of Christ. I think sometimes missions can have a way of making disciples of the people who are doing the mission works, making followers of Larry. Uh, I do my ministry to make you followers of me or followers of Diamond Hill. That's not what you're doing according to the Great Commission. Your efforts are being contributed to a larger effort there in Honduras to produce by the grace of God and by the mercy of God followers of Jesus Christ. Uh, that's, that's significant. I think every mission organization ought to be reminded of that reality, whether it's our Southern Baptist missionaries or whether they're independent missionaries. The goal of all who are fulfilling the Great Commission is to make disciples of Christ. In verse 19 as well, uh, you're commissioned by Christ to go under his authority and to make disciples in his name. Verse 19 mentions they're baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Spirit, part and parcel of making them followers of Christ. Baptism, we understand, being the, uh, being the, the first act, as it were, of practical obedience in following Jesus Christ, following him in baptism, identifying with Christ. So that is your mission. Uh, as I say, uh, from what I've heard, some of the description of, of the available options that you guys may be involved in, it may not be a direct sharing of the gospel with someone, but it may be in some support or practical effort that provides a platform or provides a ministry to the community that provides a platform for the gospel to be shared uh, by the churches there. So you are literally fulfilling the Great Commission in making disciples of Christ in the name of Christ. Uh, verse 20 as well, part of your mission will be to teach them. It says there to teach them to observe all things whatsoever I ever have commanded you. So in a very practical way, again, you are teaching. If you're not teaching the gospel directly or discipling directly, you're teaching in some ways by how you're conducting those practical ministries or that service ministry. Uh, I remember I've said uh, one time that a lot of times I've gone on teams where you had someone almost dedicated that would literally by word and by gospel share the gospel, but, but others of the team that were there to do the work should, should, should emphasize doing the work well. In other words, part of a testimony, part of the teachings in regards to Christ uh, reflect upon the way you do your work as you're there in the mission work. Uh, I remember one time I went to visit this lady and someone had come out to do a mission project and build her a wheelchair ramp. And it had only been there maybe a matter of months and I started up on the ramp and I thought I was going to fall through it. Uh, I mean, it was just flopping around and bouncing in the center and I got to feeling around and looking at the screw lines and there was, there was no center joist holding the boards up. There were two on the edge and they were spanned out thin with a thin piece of half inch plywood and it was spanned almost three feet wide and, and when you'd walked it just bounced in the middle. And I remember thinking to myself, this is, this is not a testimony of the sufficiency of Christ. And it's, and it's a bad reflection on Christians, followers of Christ, that they would do such shoddy work or un, un, uh, unprofessional, as it were, work. So I do think the, what, the work you do and the quality of that work, even if you don't have an opportunity to directly share the gospel with somebody, it says something about disciples of Christ. 
They are conscientious and they provide, in that case, good practical support and ministry that, that demonstrates that the, the followers of Christ have integrity and do their jobs well. In fact, I'll mention a verse later on that speaks of do all that you do as unto the Lord. And so would you build the Lord a handicap ramp that would collapse with one person crossing that? No. So there's practical ways. And then there may be opportunities for you to directly teach them to observe those things that Christ has commanded. You've heard me say this many times, but I'm always fascinated with the wording here. It doesn't say teach them all that I've commanded you. That would simply be teach them the Bible. There's something else involved here. There's something that new disciples in Christ need to understand. It is how to do them. Observe, uh, teach them how to observe all that I've commanded you. How do I do this? And that's part of discipling, and that's, that's long-term, and you're going on a short-term uh, mission trip, and so you're contributing to efforts that uh, Aston and his folks are making there long-term. That's what they're doing there is teaching those people how to observe all that Christ has commanded and you have a, a, a wonderful opportunity to be a part of that, maybe in some practical way, maybe even in a more direct way, that you're to be teaching them to observe all that he has commanded. And this was encouraging as well, but as you go in verse 20 as well, you go commissioned by Christ with his assured presence with you there and with you always. Uh, to me, uh, I don't know that I could commit to be on mission for Christ without that particular assurance. Uh, he is with me. In fact, in the more dangerous the mission field, we have some folks here that we know of that are in areas that would be dangerous perhaps for them to know or be revealed as being in that area. Well, I'll guarantee you that the assurance that Christ is with me even unto the end of the age is a wonderful, uh, encouraging, and a stabilizing reality in their lives. The same is true with you as you go fulfill the Great Commission. Know, guys, that Christ is with you there on your way there now in this building tonight and all the rest of your days as you fulfill the Great Commission. You do not do that alone. Uh, I don't think that'll be your experience, but it is the experience of some missionaries that they are in environments where they feel completely alone. There may not be a single other person. We all know stories of Hudson Taylor and, and many such missionaries who seem to be carrying the burden alone in so many ways. They were never alone, never alone. Christ was with them, and he says, even unto the end of the age. So as you go, you go commissioned by Christ in that way. Another exhortation comes from 2 Corinthians 5, 20, but you go also as ambassadors of Christ. You are literally representative as Christians. You are going representative of Christ himself. Uh, it may be that you encounter people in Honduras who the only, who the only fleshly, uh, example or representation of Christ they will ever see will be you and you're there short term and so it may be that you have an impact in those few moments with that person on the street or that person in a hospital or perhaps at a VBS and there and the only fleshly example they have of Christ is this representative of Christ in fact Paul goes on in that passage to say it is though God was making his appeal to you through us 
So you are going as ambassadors. When you leave, uh, we, could, we could really emphasize this and dress you all up in some really formal and uh, some kind of clothing that would identify you as ambassadors. And you'd walk into the airport and all the folks there would see there's something special about this group. And then I'd love to be the one that walks up and says, well, not really, but really there is because these are ambassadors of Christ. These are those who are, have come into contact and have relationship with Jesus Christ and have come to you on his behalf to represent their Lord and Savior and their great King Jesus. So literally speaking or spiritually speaking, you ought to be adorned as you go to these places as ambassadors of Christ and be reminded of that. Uh, to, to me, particularly, there, there's grace, particularly within the people of God, within the fellowship of the body of Christ. Uh, we're not always carrying out our representative role. Um, there, there's maybe a little more room for, for the flesh sometimes because we understand that we've not yet eradicated it completely. But especially on missions and in those short opportunities, you don't have the luxury of failing in those moments. Because that failure will be magnified a hundred times because they may never see another Christian in action. And the one perception they have of a Christian will be that one with you in which you failed and acted in the, in the strength or the lust or the, or the power of the flesh. So you go as ambassadors of Christ. We, in a larger application, as we live our lives, that's what we ought to be reminded of. We are representatives of Christ in the workplace, in the home, as we gather as the church, in the public sphere, at the shopping mall and in the grocery store. We are walking around as representatives of Christ. Perhaps we should give us, put some symbol on ourselves as a reminder to ourselves when we go into those places that I am here and I may be the only representation of Christ someone ever sees here. Lord, let me not fail in this moment to display Christ as an alt. So you go as you go, as you go Tuesday and as you make your way to Honduras, guys and, and gals, you are going as ambassadors of Christ. In Philippians 2, 5 through 7, and again in Matthew 20, 26, but you are going serving by Christ's own example. Philippians, you'll know the passage well, but speaks of have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not think it the thing to be grasped, to be like God, but he humbled himself and took upon himself the form of a bond servant. And so as you go, go with this same attitude. Jesus, in that case, he had every right to be served. This is God in the flesh. In fact, he, he didn't think deity was something that he had to reach for and to grab for. He was deity. It wasn't something, but yet he laid aside, I always said, the independent use, as it were, of that identity, subjected himself to the Father, took upon himself human flesh and the form of a bondservant. He could have, he could have taken on human flesh as a king and demanded uh, hum, hum, humility and obedience in his presence. But he laid that aside, as it were, and took upon himself the most lowly of forms, a bondservant. And so as you go, you're laying aside in some ways your privilege, and you are deliberately and as a matter of willing taking upon yourself the form or the role of a bondservant. You are literally there to serve the people of Honduras. And you have something to offer them in service as well, which is more than just your practical service, just your labor or just your work, but you have the gospel itself and Christ himself to offer to those people. 
So as you go and as you plan upon serving, go and be thinking in terms of Christ's example. In Matthew 20, 26, Jesus, you remember the discussion with the disciples in regards to greatness. And he says to them, whosoever would be great among you must be servant of all. And whosoever, whosoever should be valued that way, that highly should be uh, the very, at the very bottom supporting that. Uh, I heard a, a brother of mine recently uh, make the comment that some folks need to spend a little, a little time with a mop and a bucket. And I've heard it put other ways, but that's true. In fact, it, it, they need to spend that time there so they can embrace once again their identity as a bondservant, that preferring others above themselves, real humility. And so that's an exhortation as you go as well. Go as a bondservant. Go praying for God's grace. Lord, help me to perceive myself as a servant of Christ and a servant of these people. Lord, help me literally to prefer these people above myself. I think you've, you've embarked upon that already by committing your resources and your time and your efforts to even go. You've already indicated that there's, some, there's a need there that's greater than your own comfort here and maybe greater than your finances you've committed to the trip. So you're on the, you're on the right path. But when you arrive there, pray that God would give you a spirit that literally sees that person as preferable to yourself. I think, I think that's the only grace that will provide the sacrificial nature of true service and Christ-like service as well. That's exactly what Jesus did, laying aside those privileges. So as you go, you are going serving by the example of Christ himself. I had three sort of descriptive terms involving that sacrifice. It's humble, it's sacrificial, or that serving is sacrificial, and it's obedient. It's in obedience to Christ, in obedience to God. So those things are to mark <clears throat> your service and our service as we fulfill the Great Commission as a church. Uh, those three things, humility, sacrifice, self-sacrificing, and obedience to the Word of God, truth, if you will. In Colossians 3, verse 23 through 24, I've mentioned that already, but you go, as you go, you go and serve as unto the Lord. It says in that passage to work heartily, and then he reminds them, it is the Lord whom you serve. He even mentions there, there is a reward involved in this, and he's not saying, don't think about the reward, but the reward is not to be expected at the hands of those you serve. In fact, if you serve very many people, you'll know that oftentimes you're, you're scorned by the very people you've come to serve. I can't tell you uh, how many times I've given an example here before, but uh, there was a guy who came by here and uh, he came to the door and, 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 of course, wanted help. And at that time, Janice Douglas was here and we were collecting some groceries in the kitchen. So she said, well, you know, we have some things in the kitchen. I'll be glad to give those to you. And if you'll wait right here, she goes and gets him a bag of groceries and takes them to the door and gives them to him and says, I hope that helps. And he says, thank you, ma'am. And, and she shuts the door and he gets in his car and he drives away. In about 15 minutes, uh, he pulled back to the door, came back to the door with a bag of groceries, and she went to the door kind of confused about maybe he wanted more or maybe there was something he couldn't use, and he returned them to her, and he says, actually, I didn't want the groceries. I thought maybe you'd give me money. And so he went away, and she didn't have any money to give him, and so he, so he went away. So, so there are times when you're serving, and the very nature of humility and serving make you exploitable in the eyes of some. And trust me, they will exploit you. 
They will, they will utilize your, your servant's heart and your willingness to serve to, for their own gain. But to me, part of Christ-like service is to serve them anyway. And to me, what's important about that is that the reward for that service ultimately comes from Christ, acknowledging that service. Well done, my good and faithful servants. That's whom we're serving. We're serving the Lord. And from the Lord, we expect the reward, not from those we serve. Not from those even that some might exploit in the name of serving them. Yes, we'll serve you if you'll contribute to our church or if you'll join our church or if you'll do something in return or if you'll give us public credit, uh, public uh, acknowledgement of your service. Uh, you've heard me say this before, but I've always been, been uneasy about doing mission trips with a church with a Diamond Hill Baptist logo on it. Because I've always, I've always been concerned that they might attach the service too much to Diamond Hill and not enough to Christ. So let me just go in a flannel shirt and tell them about Jesus and said, the reason we're here to help you, having never met you in our life, is because there was one greater than we will ever dream to be who came and helped us when we were in the lostness and darkness of our sins. And he rescued us out of that. And as a testimony to that mercy, we're extending a mercy to you. And we pray that you would come to know this same Jesus. As you go and serve, do it as unto the Lord. And practically speaking, that makes a huge difference. I've been on construction sites before and, and I've been in a hurry. There's pressure to get the job done. And there's a real temptation to cut a little corner here and there. It's not too bad. They'll never know it. Only professionals would know it, but they'll never know it. For the sake of time, just cut a corner here. It's amazing what it, it does when you begin to get into those situations and think to yourself, would that be doing it as unto the Lord? Will the Lord accept a, cu a cut corner, a quick route, a, a go around something that's necessary to be done? And it may cause you to take the extra time to do it right. I'm going back to the ramp that was poorly built as well. Take the time to do it right. Why? Because I'm doing it as unto the Lord. It is the Lord whom I am serving. And I will not offer him subpar and poor quality of service. Because it says something. It testifies of how, how I value him. And in, by, by some connection of his value itself. So guys, as you go to Honduras and as you serve in various capacities as you're needed there. Whatever that is, whether it's among your skill set or whether it stretches you outside of your skill set, do it as unto the Lord. And the same is true of all of us. Whatever you're doing, whether it's your schoolwork, whether it's your job, whether it's, whether it's in inter, in interpersonal relationships, whatever we are involving ourselves as Christians with, let us do it as unto the Lord. And it'll make huge effect on how we do and the quality of what we're producing in our lives. First Peter 4, 10 through 11 is another exhortation. And he speaks here of employing your gifts in a very specific way. Let me read this text. But he says, let me back up to verse 7. Actually, he's, he's pressing the urgency of this as the end time is near. So as the end is nearing... Therefore, brethren, be of sound judgment, sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. And this, this passage particularly applicable. As each one has received a special gift, 
employ it, the gift, in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace to God. He goes on to say, whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as the one who is serving by the strength which God supplies so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Four things there under this exhortation. Employ your special, your special gifts serving, he says, one another. You think about this, you may, have, you may have invested much time and study and practice uh, in honing your special gifts uh, to, a, to a high level of, of quality. Uh, the employment of that is in service to one another, to another person. Uh, it is not for the purpose of exalting yourself or showing yourself superior to someone, but is employed for the benefit of someone else. And that's exactly what you're being called to do in Honduras. You'll come alongside and you'll serve in various capacities. Like I said, some within your skill set, some maybe not so much within your skill set, but whatever special gift you have, employ it in that context to the serving of one another. He mentions uh, the critical nature of that as well. Not only are you serving one another that way, but you're doing so as a steward of something incredible here because he doesn't say as a steward of that gift, as a steward of that special gift. He says you're doing so as a steward of the manifold mercies of God, the manifold grace of God. That's, that's the stewardship that you have as you're going to Honduras and, and church as we're going out and we're fulfilling the Great Commission, serving others. We are, we are doing so as stewards of something extraordinary and that is the grace of God. That tells me that your special gift, whatever investment you made in honing that gift is a grace. It's a grace and your use of it is a stewardship of that grace not of the gift itself, but of the grace that provided for the gift. It is a testimony to the glory and the greatness and the grace of God in the way that you exercise or employ this special gift that you have. I thought about the context of your trip, guys that, that are going. Uh, it may be that you're, you have a special gift that is not corresponding to the particular service. I mentioned the mop bucket. You may have special gifts and none of those special gifts, including mopping floors. I don't know about you, but I'm an expert floor mopper. I had a lot of experience in floor mopping. I know how to mop a floor. I can do a good job. It lies within the areas of a special gift of mine or a grace, you might say. But there is a special gift, a special grace that God has given to you that might be employable while you're using the mop. Perhaps you're mopping an office building for someone who could use a word of encouragement and you're a Barnabas. Your special gift might be employed in that context. So don't think that the area that you're serving excludes you from exercising or employing the special gift that you have because it is a grace that God has given you and you are a steward, you are a steward of that, whether it's with a mop bucket, a hammer, or a, or a platform to preach the gospel, whatever that special gift, it is a grace. And your employment of it in the proper way is a stewardship of that very grace. Also, your service, he says in that passage, you employ your special gifts in the strength that God supplies. Not a special gift 
that, that you have reached some level of qualification that now you feel adequate. Uh, there are people who exercise special gifts that are completely self-sufficient, not dependent upon the God and not dependent upon God at all and exalting self. And it always winds up being prideful service. And they love the praises of men and they get it heaped upon them because they've honed so well their special gift. He says here that those who are employing these special gifts are to do so in the strength that God provides, not in your strength. As you guys go, you're not going in reliance upon your strength. You may be operating in an area of your special gift, but it's not your strength that needs to be brought to bear in those situations. It is divine strength of God manifested through the grace of God given to you for the glory of God, he goes on to say. That's, that's your mission. That's part of your mission as you go. And that's part of our mission as Christians as we fulfill the Great Commission and live our Christian lives. I, I'll be honest with you, at this point in my life, I'm exhausted applying my own strength to anything. Uh, I, I'm, I am perfectly content to, let, to do whatever I'm engaged in doing by the strength that God provides. And the reason is this. I found out that my strength don't last very long. It runs out really quick, and it, and it serves to no end usually. It may have some practical benefit in the short term, but it has no eternal benefit. So as you go, I pray that you'll be praying that you can serve in whatever capacity and whatever you're asked to do, that you can do so with the strength that God provides because it will be evident. It will be evident to those whom you are serving whose strength is being employed there. And I would say for all of us, it's evident to the world whose strength we're employing. There's something, uh, I love it when Paul says, when I came to you, I came determined to know nothing but Christ and him crucified. Well, if anybody could have ever debated with the theologians of his day, Paul was the man. But Paul says, in this case, I came having made a specific determination that I would not engage in the philosophical debates with you, but I would preach Christ and him crucified. Why? So that your faith would not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the grace of God, in the power of God. Paul was being a steward, a good steward of the special gifts of grace given to him in that moment. And so it is to be with you and I. Finally, in that passage, as you go, you are employing your special gifts ultimately for the glory of God. There's nothing greater than to, to know that you've helped someone. It's gratifying. Uh, I remember when we went up to West Virginia and done the mud outs and the tear outs and, and some of those things. And to, and to see some of you who were there, but to see this one lady's countenance, when we came in, her bottom half of her house was completely full of mud. Uh, it had filled up into the house up to almost four feet water in the, in the, in, in the house. And when we went in, it was a wreck smelled of mold, wet, soggy, and we started ripping things out. And she was, she was just, you could tell she was in a distressed mood and a countenance was distressed. And by the time we finished that day, we had the sheetrock out and, and we had cleared out those things and there was progress being made and you could literally see hope return to her. My house will be livable once again. And there was hope and, and it was so gratifying in heart and, and it would be easy for me to, to, build, to build my service upon seeing that gratification. But listen, there is something far greater involved. It's the glory of God. It's the glory of God. 
I pray, I think, I believe with all my heart to this day, that lady probably often remembers the people professing Christ came and without charge invested labor and sweat and cut and literally blood in, in providing for me to have hope again. Thanks be to God who would send people such as this to encourage me. God's glory is at stake in your service. I'm sure that it'll be interesting. I'm sure that there's a certain fascination in traveling to uh, particularly uh, someone outside the United States. Some people love to travel and they find other people f greatly interesting and that, and that can be a wonderful experience. But the reason ultimately for your going is the glory of God. It's the glory of God, that God's glory might be displayed and manifest in those people. And the last one, I won't go into all this chapter, but the last one I wanted to close with tonight was as you go, go incredibly important in love. I mean, 1 Corinthians 13 is just such a striking and sobering passage of scripture because Paul says, I mean, he says some remarkable things there. If I have all knowledge, I am without limits in my knowledge. I know everything and I know all mysteries. I mean, can you imagine how the world would see, receive someone who knew everything and knew all the mysteries? Man, I got, some, I got some questions for Paul. Come around, Paul. I got all kinds of questions for you. You have all knowledge and all the mysteries. And Paul says, if I, if I have that capacity and I don't have love, I am nothing. In fact, I am a clanging symbol. Indis, indis, indiscriminate, indistinguishable from any ration or reason. I am, I am empty. I am an empty noise if I do not have love. And I think in many ways, so would your service be and so would your missions, mission work be if you have not love. And he goes on to talk about what that love is. It's a high calling. It's often read at marriages, uh, marriage ceremonies, and as rightly it should be. But this is, a, this is a very different kind of love. In fact, I would say it is, manif it is manifestly the love of Christ. The love of Christ. And so that's my final exhortation for you who are going to Honduras and for all of us who would desire to fulfill the Great Commission. Do so as you go in love, in the love of Christ. Here's something that's key to that. You have to have known that love. You have, to, you have to have experienced this kind of unconditional love in Christ Jesus. You, have, you have, have to have some reference point to understand what patience love looks like, what long-suffering love looks like, what gentleness looks like, what, what all of these, what rejoicing in righteousness looks like. You have to have some, some experience in regards to what that kind of love looks like manifest. If you want to look for it, look to the life of Christ. But then experience and remember and recall that sort of love extended to you in Jesus Christ while you were yet a sinner. And then you go on that mission field and then you encounter people, some who will exploit you, some, some who will despitefully use you, some who may respond to you positively and all kinds of responses. But love them in the same way. It will make all the difference in the world. Yes, speak the truth. Yes, Yes, serve in every capacity possible. Sacrifice yourself in service. But don't do, it, don't do it merely from some obligation, but let love motivate the doing of it. And sometimes 
Jesus will, on life will give you an example, but sometimes they'll hate you for doing it. And maybe because they're suspicious and they, they can't conceive of a love that would genuinely sacrifice itself in preference for them. And when people see that kind of love and begin to try to comprehend what is the source and spring of that love, because I know nothing of that. Man, you have a wonderful platform at that moment to tell them about the love of Christ. And you become a gospel preacher in your service. So, so these are a few. There are many more you can go throughout the scriptures and call uh, all these things to mind. But I wanted to end with that one. Uh, in some ways, I think that's one of the things so missing from the ministry and life of the church, uh, even in its own fellowship sometime, is this Christ-like love. Uh, I've been thinking about a, a passage of scripture in regards to that for a long time now, but the statement where it says love covers a multitude of sins. And, and the practical working out of that, of that verse of scripture in the life of believers, that's quite amazing. Love covers a multitude of sins. Uh, so there is love is a critical part of your going to Honduras and you're serving in that capacity. Uh, my prayer for you guys, one of my prayers for you guys is that when you get there and, and you get with Aston and they get together and everybody gets assigned and they send you out to begin to do that work or to serve in whatever capacity they send you, that the prevailing motivation of your heart in that moment when you encounter those people there is love. These are these are human beings created in the image of God and worthy of every, every respect and every dignity that I can offer them. These are people. I'm not here as a superior one rendering out to those below me. I'm here below them, uh, reaching up to them, offering to them service from God for the glory of God.